Welcome to the Control-Alt Azure podcast. I'm Josip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt Azure. I am here again with Yusi Roine and we're starting to get the hang of this. How do you do? I'm good. Uh, I think this is episode 20 and, and it feels like we just got started yesterday. But at the same time, spending time with you doing this, it feels like an eternity as well. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's been fun and, and I'm already stressing a bit about because our naming convention is zero to zero now. So I'm thinking when we get to 999, what do we do? Do we go with hexadecimals, binary? Or do we just add one more byte to, to have four numbers? I think we need to start encrypt them with a yeah. custom encryptor. Yeah, can we have blockchain in there somehow? Yeah, I think we can. We, need, we need blockchain and, and probably we need a coin, like a crypto coin tied to it. So the control alt Azure coin. Okay, I will start saving up to purchase a couple of chains of blocks and, and what have you. <laughs> and, and I will be good. So, so what I've been up to lately... Uh, so I mentioned maybe a couple of times that I am doing school on the side besides working now at Microsoft. And, and the school will eventually, hopefully, finally, early next year, will, will graduate me as executive MBA. And as part of that, I need to do like a final thesis. Now it's called a development project. And, and I've been thinking about the topic on that. And, and last night I was, I was browsing through something and then I figured I'll definitely need to do something around AI. And, and that's probably something I'm thinking now. And, and it's kind of, kind of taking a small portion of, of my CPU now to think through that. Because I, I have to get the text done probably by September that I would be happy with myself. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And an MBA is pretty cool as well to have in the, in the backpack. Yeah. Uh, so how about for you? So for me is, I guess I touched on this subject before with, I'm always doing night hiking and, and going out into the woods, sleeping in the woods and all these things. Um, and I've realized that doing that, which I do now regularly a couple of times a week, um, get outdoors and I walk 10, 15 kilometers in, in the evening with a couple of friends in the woods or what have you, is what I do instead of riding my bike that I used to do before I had my accident and broke the collarbone. Um, you know, this gives me kind of the same energy. So going out into the woods and, and doing a long hike, you know, up hills and, and whatever, kind of depletes your energy for the evening. But in the morning, your brain is 100% on fire. Everything is afresh and you're super focused. There's a laser focus for all my work day. Then I get off, I take time with the family. And then I go, when the family sleeps, I go out hiking, which is, sounds a bit odd, but it's the time I usually spend uh, biking uh, on the road, but because it's still pretty dark in the evenings in Sweden, it's no fun to go on the road bike. So uh, instead we go hiking. And this, this is actually pretty cool. So laser focus coming out of exhausting myself in the woods. So, so perhaps for next year, when we are up to episode 100 or so, we should organize this sort of control alt Azure um, night hiking trip so all the listeners could join us and, and we'd all get lost in the forest and then, yeah, nothing happens. <laughs> exactly. And no mobile devices or GPS allowed. You know, this is analog. We go, you know, old school into the woods, 
Um, we don't even have a lighter to turn on the fires. We have this, uh, I don't know how you say this in English, but it's a type of a, a metal thing that you scrape a stone on and it, it sparks. So you have to really go old school analog to, to light even a fire. So let's do that. So on second thought, perhaps I'll just let you go on your own. And I, <laughs> you can read I, about the stories if I survive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so today's topic, Azure Cognitive Services. And, and we thought it would be fun to talk about this set of services. So it's part of Azure AI, Artificial Intelligence Services. But the cognitive services are are something that are more accessible to people who might not be data scientists, who might not be deeply invested in how do I do real AI, if you will. So, so have you used Azure Cognitive Services yourself? I have used uh, cognitive, cognitive Services a couple of times in, in different angles. Most of the time I have done either the text analytics type of thing where Using English, it would analyze a text and give me the uh, intent of that text. You know, is, is it positive? Is it negative? You know, how is it positioned? Uh, done some face recognition kind of software to to match with pictures and stuff like this. But I haven't really done any, you know, deep dive things with it. Um, the, the way I see it, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, is that you get a, a predefined set of like tested and, and battle tested algorithms for all of these things. And you can use these APIs. So instead of traditional machine learning, where you would have to like maybe build your own algorithms and then test them and feed them with a million uh, rows of data, you actually have this already done and you can just utilize these smart APIs. So I've, I've only brushed the surface of, of what's capable with cognitive services. Um, have you used them for any production line projects or anything like this? I've, I've used them, um, how would I say this, both quite a bit and not too much. So, so there's so many cognitive services nowadays. I think the number is up to about 20 different services now. So once you've used one, you kind of know how to use the, the rest as well, even though they all belong to the same family of APIs, they are all a bit different. So, so let me let me give a couple of examples here. Uh, Video Indexer, that's one that I've been using, and and I used that with a couple of customers. Uh, one interesting use case: we did a prototype with a customer, uh, and I'm I'm not sure if they went to production with this. This was about a year ago, uh, and one of the things they wanted to do is the customer would occasionally uh, interview tens or hundreds of people for open positions in their company. And they would have this sort of business model that on January, we need to hire 500 people. And then in April, again, 500 more people. And, and I proposed that perhaps instead of inviting everybody to the office and, and having like two weeks full of just interviews and trying to figure out who to hire and, and who not, they would conduct this uh, semi-automated uh, interviews over Teams or Skype or Zoom or what have you. And then with the permission of the candidates, they would record it and feed all that to the video indexer and, and try to figure from that the, the sort of uh, the reactions and, and how what sort of an index figure can we get out of this. I also realize that it might be super unfair if it gives you, for whatever reason, perhaps that the person who's being interviewed would have a crappy camera. 
So perhaps the analysis in the algorithm of the cognitive service would give you a poor scoring. So that's, that shouldn't be the only metric, but it could give you something in addition, especially if you have one person interviewing 20 people a day, like 20 minute calls, this would give you this added intelligence for the process. Right. And that sounds pretty interesting. So, so talking about the capabilities of cognitive services, this sounds like a, an interesting scenario. What other types of things do you get like out of the box if you use cognitive services versus like traditional do-it-yourself or, or build-it-yourself type of machine learning uh, or AI? So what do you get here? What kind of APIs do we have? So you already mentioned text analytics, and that's probably one of the easiest ones to get started. You feed it text. It's an API. So in Azure, it's super easy to connect with APIs. You could use logic apps. You could use Azure functions. You could do whatever. Connect with text analytics. Feed data in there. And, and when I mean data, I don't mean you need to feed 2 million rows of data to actually get one analysis out. What I often do, I feed data from Twitter or from emails or from forms that people have filled out, I feed that to text analytics analytics or the form recognizer, and it gives me back solid information. Was this positive? Was this neutral? Uh, what are the, the keywords from this sentence I should be using to perhaps use something else, maybe Azure Search combined with cognitive services? So beyond this, there's the, uh, the custom vision, computer vision, meaning that you can train the model. So you're giving a, given a model with cognitive services and you can train the model based on the data you already have. So the classic example would be that you train the model to recognize your pet. Let's say you have a cat. I don't have any pets, so I'm just assuming somebody might have a cat. So you train the model with, 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 with pictures of your cat and then you say when this cat with based on these five pictures arrives at the door open the, the pet door what do you call it the small hole that the pet can use to go in and out open that automatically so that could be a reasonable easy use case to build something fun at home um, the other one is ink recognizer haven't used that i did a couple of quick tests on that so if i scribble something with my surface pen and also my phone it's a samsung note it, it has the, um, the stylus. If I scribble something, I could then feed that to ink recognizer and say, what does it actually read? Can you, can you read my handwriting? And if you can, please uh, transform this to real text and store it in this place. Yeah, all right. So, so speaking of, of text and recognition, there's also the things around speak, speech and like translating from speech to text and vice versa, right? Yeah. I heard about somebody, this was about a year ago, and, and I was chatting with somebody, I think this was at the Build conference, and, and that person casually mentioned that he is using uh, the speech uh, translation in real time by getting, uh, in, in Mexico, he was getting English radio broadcasts automatically translated to Spanish, and then sharing that to his community as well. I, I thought that was that was super clever because then you can also do speech to text on top of this. So you would have automatic texting based on what somebody is talking in Spanish, even though originally it was it was uh, broadcasted in, in English. 
Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty clever. I've I've seen demos, and I actually a long time ago, if you remember the technology Silverlight, that was a, a big hit for a very brief moment. How um, could I forget it? <laughs> then uh, I built a also a chat tool, like a kind of a support tool, which I also saw a lot of examples around the globe. It was pretty much where uh, the one who requested a ticket could write in the native language, and the ticket arriving arrived in the native language of whoever was reading the ticket. So if I read the ticket, I got it in, in English because that's what I selected in the app, but someone could be writing, like you said, in Spanish and the ticket would arrive in English and then I would reply in English and it would come back in Spanish. So same thing there, it's, it's I guess, a little bit easier now. So when you work with these services, like how do you wire up a connection to it? It's, it's just a one-liner with an API key or do you need to authenticate, you know, very complex with OAuth or, or something like this, or how do you how do you get access to that API? Uh, typically, when you are working uh, with services you have in Azure, so I often, when I need to test something, I start with logic apps, because it's so easy to pick data, use logic apps to perhaps uh, modify the data a bit, and then feed it to whatever cognitive service you have. And since cognitive services is supported in logic apps, you simply add that, uh, action as part of your workflow in Logic Apps. And once you add that, it will ask you the, uh, the identif identifier to your Cognitive Services instance and a key. Typically, it's, it's the uh, authentication key that's unique for you. You put that in and you're good to go. Obviously, you would use Key Vault to store those secrets. But if you do testing, you just copy paste the values in there to see that it works. Mm -hmm. But since they're APIs, of course, if you're building your custom API, or if you're building something from, let's say, the command prompt or a real application, you would then treat them as, as usual REST APIs. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So are there any other, we touched a couple of them, are there any more like prominent APIs to, to know about when it comes to cognitive services? Let me highlight a couple more. So there's about 20 in total. And I think if we went through all of these, we could easily spend four hours. Uh, but one I want really to highlight is the Q&A maker. So, so the questions I've and heard answer. a lot about that, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's had this interesting roadmap in the sense that, that the first time I started using this, that was maybe way back in 2016, 17, it was super simple. It had a, had a graphical admin interface and, and you would do key value pairs. So you would put a key as this is the question I'm anticipating and this or these are the answers that I'm hoping to push back for the user. And then you would, would use something like the, uh, the, the bot framework and you would build or the bot builder, I think it was called the bot builder at the time, uh, you would use bot builder to say, okay, I'm creating a bot and the bot database will be from Q&A maker. And what was super clever about it, I could point Q&A maker to an external website and say, analyze all the questions from here and create the database for me. And you would easily go to Wikipedia or often companies have FAQs. So you would say, pick up this FAQ from this Word document and create the database for me. Now I just want a chatbot to embed on my website. And if you type in the questions like, do you have flights from Helsinki to Copenhagen next week? You could kind of identify the keywords here and then do a dynamic lookup against the database. So this still exists today. 
And I think the latest version is four or three. I haven't really followed that up just recently. And, and they keep on adding a lot more um, functionality and services, one being the analytics aspect, as well as you can call Azure Functions. So if you have this discussion dialogue in your bot, your chat bot, and, and it seems that you cannot really pick up any predefined answers, you can then call an Azure function and that will do something clever on top of this, perhaps escalate the discussion to a real person when you run into, into a dead end in the discussion itself. Right. So, 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 the, so, it, so it kind of discovers Q&A sections or you point into a Q&A sections and I, I would see maybe that it makes sense like thinking for, for what we do with our company, we offer products and we often get the same question multiple times and we'd have an FAQ, we could put a bot on the website who is pulling the data from our FAQ, answering people's questions. And when the FAQ is, is depleted, if you will, if there is no answer to the question coming in, there would immediately be a support staff who would be pinged and jumping on the chat and we would take care of the issue this way. Exactly. So it's an easy approach to building your own chatbots, internal or external facing. And you can right. then embed those in Teams or a website or SharePoint or what have you. The, cool. the other one that I still want to highlight is there's a lot of cognitive services as part of the Bing brand. And, and for Bing, you have web search, visual search, image search. So you can leverage the infrastructure from Bing to cognitive services to your own applications. So if you're building something and, and you want in your application or website, you want to have some sort of feature, you could then see if there's a cognitive service available that you could leverage, or if you just need search, you could then connect with Bing more easily, get those results and show them in your own application. All right, that's clever. And so, so the visual search or the um, which is then part of Bing, it's, this is where you would have an existing picture and you say, maybe I've seen this before. And then you pass this into the API and you get back similar or identical pictures because it knows that this is not a unique picture. I've seen this before. Exactly. And, and I cannot vouch for this, but the feeling I often get with this Bing-related search and Bing-related APIs is that when you open PowerPoint, you, you put three characters on an empty slide and then click on design ideas. You get like 15 proposals that, oh, perhaps you want to design it like this. And I always feel that I'm now using Bing on the back end to actually give me more intelligence for my applications. But so th so th that's the modern type of Clippy? You know, the little yeah, thing that yeah. popped up and say, hey, I see you're writing a document. Do you need a hand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of miss Clippy at the same time because I grew up with Clippy. And when I had problems, Clippy would be there, not really helping, but, but kind of taking... Be there. Moral yeah. support. Yeah, moral support or just stopping me from doing something. And then you could change Clippy to the wizard or the dog or they, they had a couple of different avatars you could use. Mm. We should have something like this in Windows 10. So, so speaking of the, the Bing... API there in the visual search, I did something similar with Google um, and, and their image search, which is also pretty clever, where I was in a, uh, a call and someone commented on a, a painting I had on the wall, but I had no idea where it came from. But I, I knew I've seen something similar before. And, you know, living in the land of Ikea, there's a good chance that I got it actually from Ikea, even though most of the wall art is not from there. So I took a picture of it. I used the, the image or the visual search 
and it said this is a an art piece by this artist and this is a unique art piece but he does similar things and he just knew that this is by i don't even recall the artist this was i don't have expensive painting paintings as you can tell because i don't even know what i have on the wall but it was pretty pretty clever that he knew that there is no exact exact replica of this because it's not like mass produced it's yeah. hand painted but it is extremely similar to this artist. And then it showed me a link and I clicked it and like, yep, this is the one. And it immediately kind of realized that. And, yeah. and this is what I like with cognitive services. It's kind of taking all of the hard work out of the equation. And I can just say, this is my business case. Now I just need to apply the APIs and I don't need to be the scientist to do that. I can just use the APIs. Exactly, especially if, if it's like a one-time need. Uh, we did something very similar last May. Uh, we were on holidays and we stopped in New York City and, and we spent one afternoon in the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA. And, and we bought a couple of, couple of prints, not the real paintings, but a couple of prints of, of, of some nice paintings we saw there. We come home, I, I put them on the wall like, yeah, this looks nice. And then at some point my wife pointed out to me, you see, is that really hanged? On, on correctly because should it be upside down perhaps and it, it was modern art so I couldn't tell <laughs> so I took a picture of it went to went to Google or Bing search found the artist and then so oh it was upside down it should be like this so it was maybe too too modern for me but I really liked it that I could fact check that that what I what I'm purchasing is is correctly put on the wall yeah so on cognitive services versus machine learning. So often when people are talking about AI, they might call you if you are uh, a consultancy or a product house, they might call you and say, yeah, we want AI. Can you do AI for us? Uh, what I typically feel is they want machine learning, even if they could perhaps use cognitive services. So, so how I see it, and, and you might see this the same or differently, but how I see the difference here is that cognitive services are the predefined algorithms where Microsoft is providing the, the trained model for you. You bring in data on top of this, especially if you're using custom vision, you bring data like five pictures and say, I want this out from these pictures. And, and then the algorithm matches with that data plus the model it already has. So that's cognitive services as opposed to machine learning, which typically starts with what sort of data do we have? Do we need to clean up the data? Do we need to integrate the data? Do we need to do the classical ETL, the extract, transform, and load before we actually get to even say what we want to do with the data? And that kind of starts um, far, far back from the actual result that you're looking for. And cognitive services kind of skips ahead on all that and just says, here's the API, what do you want to do? I'm happy to do it for you without you needing to figure out how the algorithm is going to end up with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with this. Um, I have the same sentiment about the separation of these and I've used cognitive services exactly like you mentioned. I have my data, I have my use case and my need, and I know what I want to get out of it. And I want to use these pre-baked algorithms because it's an API. It's very clever. There's people doing research on this all the time and they deliver this API. I don't need to adjust that. I know that my use case is gonna be a good fit for this API. Whereas for some things I've built, uh, for example, one of my spare time project is about discovering news 
and then figuring out whether this is news that is relevant to you or not. And in order to do that, there's a lot of different measuring points. It's what you like, what you dislike, what you don't take action on, what you read, what you don't read. And, you know, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. So I had to start trying to train my own model and to, to build this on my own algorithms. And I, I did this using something called ML.net, which is machine learning.net. So if you're a C-sharp developer, you can do that. Because um, otherwise, a lot of examples for data scientists are like in Python or something else. But with ML.NET, this enables me with all my experience in .NET to actually leverage my skills and experience to build uh, predictive and smart algorithms for my use case. But it does require a lot more work. It's not just something you plug in and then you go. Um, you have to wire that up and then you have to train the model so it understands what you actually want to get out of it. Uh, and once you've done that, you have to retrain it and rerun it. And then once you've done that, you have to do that again. And then you repeat and repeat and repeat. And after a while, you have a result set that you're either happy with or not, and you verify it. And I came to the point where I didn't have so much time. So I came to the point where I get a fairly good prediction of what the system thinks I want to read, but not entirely accurate. I wasn't reading it and said, yeah, you're spot on. This is exactly what I want. But most of the time, maybe in 65, 70% of the cases, it was correct. But that's still a pretty huge error margin that could be probably impro um, improved a lot. Um, but that was a, a good way to try both angles. I tried text analytics and this angle didn't give me what I needed. So I built it myself, didn't understand well enough how to do that. So I couldn't make it work. So at some point, either I may need to make the decision to invest more time learning that or I just need to outsource that to someone who actually knows what they're doing in this area. Exactly. And that's kind of the trade-off here that you need to decide, do I want to use something that's already built for me, perhaps pay for it, or do I want to invest the time and energy and, and money often to build something that I really have a strong vision on how it should be built? And, and you can mix and match these both. So with cognitive services, there's also container support for a couple of those about 20 services and this allows you to run those cognitive services within a container which then allows you to leverage perhaps that a bit more so you can you can run a set of containers that would perhaps run the computer vision for you and it would give more freedom and more portability for these solutions as well so so this is in order to be able to run it on prem or why would you because we're talking about Docker containers, right? Yeah. And why would I containerize an API that's available in the cloud? Is it because I don't want to go cloud? Or what would be the main use case for me to do this? Uh, perhaps one obvious use case here is that you are doing IoT. And, and one of the uh, cognitive services that are supported is the Face API. So let's say you want to recognize people in uh, accessing... Uh, a facility, for example, you would have an IoT device that would then run locally. So you would run the container locally and, and train the model first in the cloud and then give the updated model to your Raspberry Pi or what have you and say, I want to use this API against this set of data that I'm getting from there. That would perhaps be one use case. The other one, of course, would be that you, you, you don't have network connectivity or you want to keep certain set of data locally. Yeah, that makes sense. I think last time I, I took a look at it, it, it did require intermittent network connectivity because 
uh, it needed to check how much you analyze, for example, with text analytics. Because I, I know when I tried it with my new solution, which discovered we're talking about hundreds of millions of news articles, and then I tried to run text analytics on every single one of them, and I ended up eating up my Azure credit in less than 10 minutes because you know it became quite expensive. So I looked at doing this in a container, and at that point, but this is years ago, uh, I think a year ago, at that point, I couldn't run it entirely offline that I wanted because I what I really wanted is let's download all the dictionaries and whatever is required and run it in a container so nobody knows how many executions I'm doing. But at that point, it needed to kind of call home every now and then to say, this is what is going on. Um, so I couldn't kind of skip by the, the pricing around it. That's, that's my understanding as well, that you need intermittent connectivity at times to kind of sync up with the cloud, especially also for, for billing reasons. So on, on language support then, and you coming from Sweden, me coming from Finland, we are quite used to the different language problems or perhaps lack of language support. Cortana has always been a bit problematic, especially here in the Nordics, because it doesn't really work in the local languages at all. So there's little point in sometimes using those. So for cognitive services, especially if you do text analysis or, or, or speech translation, uh, Finnish is not natively supported. And I think Swedish is not natively supported either. So the, we're the, out of luck. We are out of luck. We have to start talking in English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, Spanish, or Chinese. And, and for me, I think I'll, I'll pick Italian because then if I go on holidays to, to find some good Italian wines, I can at least order a glass of wine in local, local dialect. Uh, but, but some languages are supported. Uh, so Finnish and Swedish are supported, for example, for OCR. So if you're doing optical character recognition from a, from a PDF or a piece of paper, then Finnish and Swedish are supported. So depending on what language you're looking at, the main languages are supported through all of the cognitive services. But depending on a specific cognitive service, some additional support is given for specific languages. And that, I guess that makes sense. It's, it's a pretty difficult thing to, to build an entire analytics engine around a language. Um, I, I took a little bit of a look at doing this with the, the news project I mentioned, because then when I realized I couldn't, I, I was burning all my credits in Azure. I thought, let's, how hard can it be to build it myself? Yeah. Right? And I took a look at that and then decided, yeah, no, let's not do that. Um, because I don't have the, the capacity in my brain to even understand how I would start doing that. Um, so I do get the, the complexity of building a language. I don't know how many more languages there will be, if any. Uh, but luckily, a lot of the things I do every single day is in English. Written and speech alike, it's always English. Exactly. And I think the incentive for a company like Microsoft to build support for these esoteric languages like Finnish and Swedish, the, the business justification might just not be there. So Finnish is spoken with about 5.5 million people and mostly in Finland. Swedish, I think you guys are about, what, 10 million or so? Something like that, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and, and Swedish not that widely used outside Sweden as well, even though I understand you guys can communicate with the Norwegians and a bit with the Danish as well. 
Yeah. And for us Finns, we cannot communicate with anybody. We only have Finnish and, and the local people yeah, here. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much in a league of your own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like to be secluded and have our personal space <laughs> here. Uh, so I understand that it Finnish might be or Swedish might not be something that would soon be added on the list of the main supported languages next to English and French. Yeah, that makes sense. So talking about credits and, and things like that, like costs and budgets, what is the pricing of this thing? Is it, is it the same price for everything or is it differently priced? How do I, how do I calculate that? Is it the Azure calculator that is my go-to point here? Yeah, Azure calculator is your help here. So all of the cognitive services have a different pricing structure, meaning that some are built per uh, number of transactions per month. Some are built on the number of, of analysis performed per month. Some are built on the number of queries per month. And oftentimes you have a free tier. And for example, for the text analytics API, which is probably the, one of the most useful ones in the, in the bunch of all of the cognitive services, uh, you get 5,000 transactions free per month, which is quite a bit. But once you start, start hammering through that, you can easily do 5,000 transactions in 10 minutes. Then you're going to need to start pay up on something. So as an example here, uh, for text analytics, if you go with the standard zero, uh, you end up having 25,000 transactions per month and that would cost you 63 euro or about $55 per month. And, and the more you need, obviously, you, you start scaling that up. And just for comparison, the highest tier is standard four, the S4. It gives you 10 million transactions per month. And the price is 4,216 euro. So that's about, what, 3,800 US dollars. So certainly you pay a lot, but then again, you get to do 10 million transactions per month. Right. Okay. So that's good to know. I, I would say due to the vast number of different APIs available, head on over to the calculator, the, uh, the Azure pricing calculator, put in your, your estimated numbers, get a value and get a feel for what it's going to cost you. Cause I guess this is different also for each API. So exactly. And, and one of the tests I did the first time I started using cognitive services, I picked all tweets from Twitter based on, on, a, on a hashtag. I think that was Azure. And I ran those through text analytics and stored all the results in a table storage. And after two minutes, I was done with the 5,000 transactions. And it started complaining that you need to crank up the tier now to something that costs you money. And yep. then I figured, okay, perhaps I don't need to run this every 10 seconds. Perhaps I'm fine running this once per hour and limit the usage of the APIs a bit more. Yeah, makes sense. Alrighty, so that was cognitive services. Plenty of services, about 20 services. They run, a bunch of those run in a container, but typically you just call the API through your own application. It could be Logic Apps, Azure Functions, uh, a web app, an API or something else. And the language support, main languages officially supported. These smaller language families like Finnish and Swedish, they are typically not supported unless it's a specific use case, it might be supported. And for pricing, you pay for what you use. So be careful on, on how much you're using those if you're not monitoring cost in real time. Yeah. 
that's a good summary. And speaking of languages, I guess it's time for the, the final thing of the episode, which is the word of the day. So even though you might not have support for finishing cognitive services, at least you can enlighten us with a new word so we have something to, to train about until the next episode. What is the Finnish word of the day? I chose an easier one because I realized I've, I've used a couple of really tricky ones in the past. So this is an easy one. And the Finnish word is noja. Noja. Yeah. So it's sort of a filler word. And, and it, it also works as, as a transition, as a segue to something else. So it's, it's a bit like saying, yeah, but in a kind of positive way, not that, mm -hmm. that, that you're opposing somebody saying something. So it's more positive and it can be applied multiple ways, depending on your intonation. So if you say, no, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, whatever, that's fine. Or if you say, no, yeah, then it's like, well, I'm not sure about that. Let me think through. <laughs> And if you say, no, yeah, then it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm truly disappointed with you now. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we, we have a similar word in Sweden, which is noia. Um, and it, it's in similar ways, depending on how you say it, it can be interpreted as, as different things like noia, noia, noia. So we also have a, a I guess it's a, a similar word and, and used in similar ways. I think in the Dutch language, they say naya. I think that's that's the uh, version they have. So it seems to be more or less universal. So this was an easy one. So in Finnish, no, yeah. No, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So the, the Swedish thing I have is taganer, which um, instead of in Sweden, you don't say chill down, which means get cold, it would be strange in Sweden because we're already cold. So bring your spikes down. It's like the literal translation. Taganer, bring your spikes down which is relax now, take it easy, chill down. Taganer. Let me try it. Taganer. Yeah, so, so like, good enough. Take it down. Ner is down and taga is... It's like spikes. Okay. Uh, but no but like, a, like more like a verb, so it's to spike. Yeah. So to spike down or bring your spikes down. So our, our Finnish version for this would be, because we love to borrow... Uh, phrases from the English language as well. So in English, you would perhaps say relax. And in Finnish, the, the slang version is, is rela. Okay, so, yeah, so, we just, so we just lose the X in the, in the end, and then it's the same. I wish that was true for most of the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Alrighty, so this was Azure Cognitive Services, uh, powering your apps, bringing more intelligence to your apps. Thank you, and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.